0: We're revisiting some old friends.
1: Oh my god, ew, David!
0: And learning some new facts. I hate the myth of Hemingway. It obscures the man. I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch on Monday, April 5th. We're counting down today's top three must-see picks from TV and movies. But first, your entertainment headlines. Godzilla vs. Kong may have been an epic battle between those two movie monsters, but they were no match for the rest of the weekend box office. The Warner Brothers movie, the fourth in the Monsterverse franchise, earned an estimated $32.2 million over the weekend, adding to the $16.3 million it earned on Wednesday and Thursday. That's the highest opening for any movie opening during the pandemic, aided of course by the limited reopening of theaters across the country. The movie, which stars Alexander Skarsgård, Millie Bobby Brown, Rebecca Hall and Brian Tyree Henry has made $123 million internationally. The Screen Actors Guild Awards were handed out Sunday night in a scaled-down special where The Trial of the Chicago 7 won Best Film Ensemble, while The Crown and *Shit's Creek won in the Drama and Comedy Series Ensemble categories. More on both of those later. Viola Davis earned her sixth career win, this time for lead actress for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Her co-star, the late Chadwick Boseman, also won lead actor for that movie. On the TV side, Ted Lasso star Jason Sudeikis and Schitt's Creek's Catherine O'Hara won top comedy acting honors, while Ozark's Jason Bateman and The Crown's Gillian Anderson won in the drama categories. You can check out the full list of winners and get other news reviews, interviews, and much more at EW.com. All right, let's crack open our top three picks for today. First up, for their latest PBS docuseries and our number three pick, acclaimed documentarians Ken Burns and Lynn Novick are turning their lens on literary legend Ernest Hemingway. The three-part six-hour doc looks past the legend, though, exploring Hemingway's life and career while digging into such complex topics as his interest in gender fluidity and his relationships with the women in his life. It goes beyond the hard-drinking, big-game-hunting man's man that Hemingway himself helped mythologize, crafting a full portrait of a complicated icon of American literature. Here's a clip.
1: All you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know, and then go on from there. When you think of the weight that his fame must have laid on him, even when he was young, and the anxiety that would produce of, how can I live up to this? How can the next book be better? What is in me to make this real? It's very hard, I think, to be a public person like that. And so I think every public person create some kind of avatar, if you will, of themselves, some holograph of themselves to present publicly to save whatever is private in them. The problem is that eventually your avatar will consume you.
0: That was Jeff Daniels, by the way, as the voice of Hemingway there at the beginning of the clip. The series also features Carrie Russell, Mary Louise Parker, Patricia Clarkson, and Meryl Streep as the voices of the author's four wives, and an impressive array of interviewees, including the late Senator John McCain. Hemingway arrives tonight on PBS. Check your local listings for tune-in Times. Number two. Now we're switching things up a bit for the rest of our picks today. We have two recommendations for those of you casting about for your next binge, both of which happened to pick up the best TV ensemble prizes at the SAG Awards this past weekend. We'll start off with the winner for best drama, The Crown, which has been racking up prizes for its acclaimed fourth season. This batch of episodes, which dropped on Netflix back in November, features the debuts of both Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana, shaking up the story of the British royal family as Queen Elizabeth's reign enters one of its most eventful periods. EW correspondent Ruth Kinane now joins me to discuss the season and its highlights. Hey, Ruth, we got a lot to talk about here, so let's get into it. This season covers Charles and Diana's first meeting, their very brief courtship, the wedding, that very pivotal trip to Australia when uh, public favoritism ended up going to Diana and not Charles. And then we see the very sad breakdown of their marriage, which, I mean, I guess it could be debated that they never really had a marriage to begin with. That's for a whole other separate time. But um, to you, between the, uh, the Charles and Diana story, um, what for you was the, the standout moment of the season?
1: For people who are big fans of them as a couple, I can understand or mostly of Diana, I guess. I can understand the anticipation for this season and just like looking forward to seeing the wedding and her all her fashion and everything. And that is mm-hmm. great. I love that. But there is there's so few moments between Charles and Diana where you're like, Oh, okay, that they had to you know, at some point they really did love each other. But for it's me no weird, the highlight kind really of
0: rooting for them even though you know how it's going to end. Yes, them. it was so Yeah, weird. It was like, Oh, come on, you guys, we can turn this around. But of course
1: I know. Are we just hopeless romantic for like we we can rewrite history. It's all going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite thing, though, which I can't believe is actually true, was that Diana and Camilla had lunch literally in a restaurant named Ménage Trois. I just can't even believe that really happened, but it's true. I looked into it, and that's exactly what they did. I don't know. It's hard to really think of their, their storyline and be, feel particularly uplifted at any point but i did love i feel like within the trip to australia there's that moment where they kind of come together and they realize you know they can be one nice to one another what's the thing they just need to like comfort one another or encourage one another or something and even though you're cringing, you're like, "Okay, see, we can yeah. do more of this."
0: They're just like sitting in in the outback, and they they're just like, yes. "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I, I was going to say that's my kind of standout moment between them too. When he actually yeah. tells her he loves her, and she's like, "Whoa, what? You really do?" Okay,
1: because this is the only time they really communicate. The rest yeah. of the time, they're just like scowling at one another or doing yep. or seeing other people. And then they have that lovely scene where they dance together, you know, where they start that kind of high after they have that one conversation. Mm -hmm. And then the dancing scene was lovely. Again, something that really happened. You can find it on YouTube.
0: Season four also covered the span of Margaret Thatcher's years as the first Mm -hmm. female prime minister of the United Kingdom. So what did you think of Gillian Anderson in that role? Because she's getting lots of high praise.
1: Yeah, I mean, I should admit that I have no real frame of reference because I've not seen a lot of Thatcher's interviews or speeches from when she was in office. Um, I personally thought that Jillian Anderson was brilliant. I felt like the the deep voice, the tilt of the head, the way she walks. If you like watch all the scenes of her just walking, it's actually qu- kind of hilarious. But like she comes across as this formidable leader. Even if you don't really know that much about Thatcher, I think you get that impression regardless. So yeah, and I've heard other people say that like she kind of is portraying like an older Thatcher, like who has maybe a little bit less energy or like her voice is just kind of deeper and more gravelly than she was when she was, actually, than when she was actually in the office. So, but like, regardless, that's your, I mean, sorry, Jillian Anson does just like a great job of coming across as that prime minister who's very determined and entirely unlikable. But um, yeah, I think, I don't imagine anyone else would have done necessarily a better job. And the whole thing, you don't, as an actor, I'm sure you don't really want to entirely imitate someone else. You're putting your own spin on it. So I personally thought she was great. I enjoyed it. I didn't, yeah. I didn't, stop and think, Oh, that's Jillian Anderson. I was very like caught up in the character.
0: You know, there were a lot of times I found myself watching this show, especially I especially did it in season four. Um, I found myself kind of simultaneously annoyed by the royal family, but also <laughs> I felt a lot of compassion for them. I felt badly for them because they didn't ask to be royals. This is something they were born into, and as it is so often mm-hmm. said in the show, it is their duty. They're not allowed to express the duty. Charles, mm. uh, you know, his mother told him, people don't care what you think. You're just supposed to <laughs> behave and do things a certain way. So how much of that do you attribute the, the love-hate relationship that the audience has to the writing and the performances?
1: I mean, I, so I have the exact same feeling as you when I'm watching it. I'm like, uh, you know... They didn't ask for this. It's a shame. They're stuck in this lifestyle. And then other times I'm like, okay, get over it. Like you have a beautiful (laughs) life. Just make the most of it. I mean, okay, go to your little, not your little, your huge house in the country and be away from the the press. You're fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I do find generally the show to be pretty sympathetic towards them, particularly the queen, maybe not Charles so much, but definitely the queen, apart from as a mother, really, she doesn't come across as great. But I do think like you have that soft spot for her because she didn't, she wasn't even born. For that role like her uncle abdicated she wasn't supposed to be queen so you're like god that's unfortunate but to your point about the writing and the casting I think like so much of this thing with Olivia Coleman is that she's so likable too so I, I ha- find it hard to watch that and think oh the queen like can't be bothered with her because I'm like oh the queen she's kind of endearing mm-hmm. <laughs> and the same with Claire Foy like Claire Foy was so great in that role and so likable and your heart really broke for her when she's forced into it and the marriage troubles and everything but yeah of course we can't know exactly what the royals are like behind the palace walls. So like if we come away from it, feeling sorry for them or feeling annoyed by it, that is obviously the writing because so much obviously is based in facts and events that really happen, but the writers and creators are filling in those like personal moments that really make us feel like for them whether for them or against them, I guess.
0: Well, I am all about encouraging you to binge this series if you haven't already. All four seasons are available to stream on Netflix. Thanks, Ruth. Thank you. It's trivia time. This one goes out to all the Crown fans out there. Who will take over the role of Queen Elizabeth from Olivia Coleman when the show returns for season five? Imelda Staunton, Helen Mirren, or Emily Watson? Stick around for the answer. Our number one pick is coming up. What to watch? We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to ew's what to watch this week in entertainment history on april 8 1990 tv viewers visited the town of twin peaks for the first time as David Lynch's cult classic series premiered on ABC. The show follows Kyle MacLachlan's FBI agent, Dale Cooper, as he investigates the murder of local high schooler, Laura Palmer. But it also explores the lives and complex relationships of the town's many residents, with a healthy dose of the supernatural and Lynch's trademark surrealism. Though beloved by critics and a group of loyal viewers, the show's ratings waned in its second season and ABC canceled it in 1991. Twin Peaks would later return as a limited series on Showtime in 2017. One. And now let's head from Twin Peaks, Washington up to the Great White North for our number one pick. Shits Creek. Following its record-setting Emmy sweep last year, the Canadian comedy added to its hardware at the SAG Awards, as we already mentioned, winning Best Ensemble in a Comedy Series for its sixth and final season. We have been beating the drum for this show for quite a while now. Back in 2019, EW's Shana Naomi Krocmal and Patrick Gomez hosted a season of our Binge podcast, revisiting each season of Shits Creek alongside co-creator slash star Dan Levy. For the benefit of those of you who still don't know what the show is about, here's a clip from that podcast. We're going to dive deep in the season in a second, but we want to challenge you to uh, wrap up this first season okay. in, in 30 seconds or less. So give us the
1: premise. Give us kind of what <laughs> happens. Okay. Okay. <laughs>
0: very wealthy video store magnate and his family lose their money in a back tax scandal. And in the process, the government goes through all their assets r- sort of repossessing and decides that this one particular asset, this town that my dad's character bought for me when I was 16 as a joke, because the town was called Schitt's Creek, doesn't have any value to them. So the only asset that my family is left with is this town and they have to move there and start fresh. Each of these family members are incredibly guarded and protected and are used to a very uh, high standard of living and slowly but surely over over the first season of our show, they realize that they will never get that again. About that family, the show also stars Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy, and Levy's father Eugene, and features a whole host of supporting characters that grow this fish-out-of-water comedy into a warm-hearted ensemble sitcom. It's the perfect cure, if I do say so myself, for the quarantine blues. And all six seasons are streaming on Netflix now. And now the answer to today's trivia question, who will take over the role of Queen Elizabeth on The Crown when the show returns for season five? Amelda Staunton, Helen Mirren, or Emily Watson? Don't take Umbridge if you got this one wrong. The answer is Imelda Staunton, who's best known for playing Dolores Umbridge in the Harry Potter movies. Mirren did play the Queen in 2006's The Queen, and the Broadway play The Audience, winning an Oscar and Tony along the way. And both were written by the crown creator, Peter Morgan. That is our show for today. We'll have more news and must-see picks for you tomorrow, so be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I am Senior TV Editor Jared Hall. You can find us on Twitter at EW and at Jared Hall. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day. What to Watch is written by Tyler Aquilina, edited and produced by Joshua Heller, produced and hosted by Jared Hall, and executive produced by Shana Naomi Krokmal and Carly Usdin.